This copyrighted podcast of the James Perspective has been paid for and funded by James M. Wilkerson. Any rebroadcast, reproduction, or other use of this podcast are a permutation and combination of words and sentences used in this podcast without the express written consent of James M. Wilkerson and the James Perspective is strictly prohibited. guys how we doing good morning hello that reminded me of the good morning vietnam yeah, we've done that here yeah oh, okay we've had talking tom and tim towers too <laughs> nobody knows who that is chris how you doing i'm doing good we have the giant preacher how was your how was your christmas and everything it was fair yes fair yeah. fair to middling that's the way they used to say in alabama mm. They get a cold front. We don't get one. No. <laughs> Got Glenn FX. Jim is here. Sarah's here. Hello. And um, we're today. We've got an exciting topic, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it's one. Um, I may just let Jim introduce it. Um, and I probably can just sit back and relax and watch this today, can't I? I've never seen you do that. It's not in my nature. I doubt, I doubt it happens. <laughs> it's not going to do it. It's, it's, it's the plan, but it's good to plan. Yeah. Nonetheless, even if it falls through, it's always good to plan. I I I plan the run and I run the plan. Sometimes. All right, let's go. Take yeah. it over. So Here. we talked about this briefly. Um, I forget which podcast this would be, but we talked about briefly uh, one of the podcasts on the different tiers of doctrine that there are certain core beliefs that all Christians hold to be necessary for salvation or to be necessary to be called a Christian. And these core beliefs are pretty much what's laid out in the Apostolic Creed. And we would put these core beliefs in what many have called the first tier. All right. And these are, again, matters of salvation and matters of being called a Christian. To be called a Christian, you believe this, and to be saved, you believe these things. All right. The second tier would be issues that are highly important but not necessarily issues to where one is considered heretical or non-Christian. Uh, these issues would be, and we're going to have a discussion on this, but uh, the example that I bring up is female leadership in a church. Um, I believe that, and, and many other Christians believe this, that you can still be considered Christian, yet think that, uh, have a different interpretation of what Paul said about female leadership in the church to mean something cultural at the time. And that this was something that was um, dealing with women who weren't educated uh, in the. Uh, we have a lot of noise. Uh, like clicking, clacking. Oh, uh, uh, because I'm clearly clacking. He is clicking, clacking. Well, that okay. just lets everybody know I do know how to type. Oh, well, wait. Is the is the mic picking it up, or is it um, just Glenn that can hear the clicker? I think it was, it, it, it think probably it was just Glenn. Glenn. Yeah, yeah, you're right about my clicker. Yeah, so. How's that? <laughs> and, 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 and there's going to be a weird pause at this because they're not the listeners are not going to be able to hear Glenn. Okay. Either they're going to wonder what happened. Right. So, it's all of a sudden me saying there's a lot of clickety clack. There's a lot of clickety clack. <laughs> all right. So anyway, I don't want to get too much into the weeds about why people think that female leadership is okay today versus in the past, that not necessarily being, and that's what Paul was addressing. So I believe that people can still be Chris, considered Christian yet believe also in female leadership. 
Catholics might not believe that. We can discuss that later. I think, uh, right, then, I, I don't like how you phrase that there where you said they can be Christian and believe that. I think that you can still be Christian and believe that. It's just um, whether that affects salvation, which that sounds really dark, but well, it's, I don't think it's as dark as mm-hmm. we're going into right now. Yeah. yeah. And so, and, and so that's might be a second tier issue for you because second tier issues don't necessarily mean not important. They mean these are issues that are not necessarily related to uh, your being considered a Christian. Now, I'm not getting into the weeds. The third tier issues are matters of opinion, like whether or not you can wear shorts in a church. You know, or yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Do you have light shows? You know, do you have a choir or do you have a band? You know, those those are matters really of opinion and maybe are not necessarily worth warring over with other Christians. You let the structure determine that you let the church structure determine that. And so we talked about this the other time. Now, whenever we discussed it, we got to the issue of female leadership. OK, and mm-hmm. I think that's where a lot of this discussion is going to happen today. Um, I said that female leadership does not. um matter in terms of salvation, meaning justification. All right. As far as you're being sealed by the Holy Spirit and being set aside for the Lord. Now, I know that sanctification means being set aside, but sanctification is an ongoing walk with Christ. And we could talk about that as far as female leadership affects that. That's pretty much set, setting the stage for this, though. Do you have anything you want to add to that, Sarah? Uh, just just a couple of things. Again, like what we're looking at is salvation. So like you've, you've said that it like whether it affects you being a Christian or and then like I think other times you talk about salvation. But I'm looking at specifically salvation for these tears. Can you be a Christian and not be saved? Yes, I think so. Yeah, that is something you, that I would disagree with. Yeah. Wait, so I want to know how that works. I, I would I would think that. <laughs> Sorry. Well, OK. Mm-hmm. So, OK, so it's going to be weird for Catholics because there is a, a it's ongoing to the mm-hmm. point of you can lose salvation and get it back. But um, I would think that. As far as this goes, especially for the Catholic Church, you can believe, like you talk about the Apostolic Creed, right? Mm-hmm. You can believe that and still go to hell. Okay. Yeah. All right. We could talk about that some. May I? May I? Yes. Closet this. I thought I was going to be quiet. <laughs> no, 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 you're not. You're not. You're not going to be quiet on this topic. Yeah, I don't think you yeah, can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we're talking about soteriology. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. Salvation. Yeah. All right. And I think that. Because we have a Catholic, we need to clarify where we're both coming from. I'm not going to try to go into verses. I'm going to just go in straight into theology. Mm-hmm. All right. So salvation, according to what I learned growing up as a Protestant, is three different parts of it. There's justification, which is freedom from the penalty of sin. You will no longer suffer in hell the rest of your life you're justified you're going to you're going to heaven and you're going to be with face to face and justified means just as if i never sinned but you're free from the penalty of sin that's the main right. thing i want to say right now well that would be the same thing okay are you talking about eternal penalty or temporal penalty so well we'll probably get there because you believe that there's Man, yeah, I, I just let me let, would y'all let me finish yes that's the best yeah, thing yeah. we could do yeah, go ahead okay <laughs> all right because we're going to get there. So, we, so, so back to what I'm saying is the way that I, I, I learned it growing up. Not saying it's right. This is the way we learn it. Justification is free from the penalty of sin. 
Sanctification is free from the penalty. Excuse me, the power of sin over you while you're alive. So you overcome the power of sin. Then glorification is once you've died, you're free from the presence of sin. You don't even have it anymore. All right. Now, I got this straight from the catechism. I've got the catechism rules, paragraphs pulled up if we need it. The difference is that Catholics consider sanctification as part of justification. So the freedom from the penalty of sin includes accepting Christ, understanding that Christ paid the penalty for your sin, but it's also sanctification, meaning that your Christian walk is included in justification. That's the big difference. We separate them. We say once you're saved, now you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. You start your walk with God. He's going to, he's going to work with you. We, we as Christians, our job is to persevere. He is doing the sanctifying. The sanctifying grace is done by God, but we persevere. But that sanctification process is not justification. It's a separate thing. Catholics combine. And that's the big difference. Mm-hmm. That's the big difference right there. So UE would say, all right, I've accepted Christ. What's the first thing he wants us to do? He wants us to get baptized. It is a, that's a, that is a, an obedience thing. That's a sanctification thing. That's a perseverance thing. We are supposed to pray. We're supposed to study. We're supposed to advance as Christians. Those things are all sanctification because we're in his, we're, we're his, ch- his child now. We're the son of God. We are set aside for his good work. But it's not part of justification. That's permanent in ours because it's separate. You will fail in, as part of your sanctification walk. You're not perfect. In, you're not perfect. You'll sin. You'll do things you're not supposed to do. The question is, are you is are you work, working towards being Christ-like? And you sh- are you showing your justification by your sanctification? That's basically what I, that's that's the difference. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Sarah, as a Catholic, is going to combine those things. So when we are showing, we as when we say we're showing our justification by our good works. She's saying those good works are part of your justification. Actually, uh, many Protestant churches would agree with what Sarah has said. We've said I, that. I do not believe. Mm-hmm. I believe like you do. Yes, exactly. No, there are exactly there are Protestants like that. And what I what and I was telling this to Charlotte the other day. I think Sarah was in the car with me. What gets me about that is is the Catholics only want to get a bad name for it. <laughs> that is well, funny. I, I don't know because kind of I was raised in those kind of churches. This. All of this gold on my fingers would be a, a tremendous sin in some Protestant churches years ago. Okay, so that's the difference. We can get into the verses now, but that's the big difference. The big difference is that the Catholics combine. They say that justification, part of it, is sanctification. Yeah, and mm-hmm. yeah. Go ahead, sir. Oh, and um, I guess my question is like, just because you, you, you know that my. Uh, Christian journey began with the Catholic Church. Like I would say, my um, my most recent one because I mm-hmm. was baptized whenever I was twelve years old. You were baptized. I was. That was like that was such a powerful experience too. And so whenever, yeah, it was insane. Um, like I, I'll never forget that just beautiful feeling that I had after baptism. And that's why it's kind of interesting. I didn't really understand 
um, any salvation, like really what it, what it meant back then. I know that whenever I accepted baptism, I was fully accepting it, um, as I could as a child, but I didn't understand how salvation worked. And so, um, at that moment, whenever I felt that power from the baptism, I thought everybody thought that baptism wasn't just symbolic. That was something that like Christ was actually, the Holy Spirit was descending upon you and, um, you felt Christ's presence. And, um, it wasn't until, this actually with the Catholic church where it was like, yes, they feel that way. But, uh, other people say, no, it's just a symbol, like an open symbol that you are a Christian and you accepted God and other people can see that now. And so, um, that was my first step, but then I, I lost, like I, I cut ties, I would say with the church. And that's why, again, as far as Catholicism goes, we say that you can lose salvation and get into that later. But mm-hmm. I would say that for a long time there, I, I had run away from God and, um, I was, I was thinking about it last night, what my thoughts were during that time that I was away from God, um, and how smug I was about it. And so now that I've gotten into the Catholic faith, I have learned what the steps of salvation are. I've researched them thoroughly and I accept them. Um, and so I get like from the Catholic side, what we say, like how you go about it, but what, what gets you justification from the Protestant side? Hmm. So how do you become oh, justified? Grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Okay. The blood of Jesus Christ. Do you get bad? Do you have to get baptized? That's a command. So I don't think it's necessary for salvation. Okay. It, it is, wasn't for the thief on the cross. Is anything for? Is anything other than faith? Is it solo? Faith fide? is sufficient. Solo fide. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yes. So you don't have to get baptized. Baptism's a is a how do you say it so baptism's not the thing that gets you saved it's the fruit of salvation you are yes and you are now under the authority of god you accepted his authority and his commandment to you is to get baptized mm-hmm. it would be a foolish thing it would be not get that exactly but it's not necessary well yeah, well I, so if you if you have true faith yes you'll get baptized I it's one of those that. it's one of those necessary products again of well, salvation i'll show you my justification by my sanctification. Mm-hmm. I was told to do it. I did it. Mm-hmm. And, and we believe that it's a picture of the old man going down in the grave and the new man coming up. As you go down in the water, it's the old man going down in the grave. As you come up, you're the new man. I do believe in that rebirth because we were born of man through Adam's line, but we were born by water into Christ's line. And that's what, um, but, but I think that something that we do have in common is it is literally only the grace of God that can get us to that step. So, um, Catholics don't think that it's our own work or our own decision that gets us into that initial step of baptism. It's the grace of God. They're saving grace. They're saving grace is identical fire. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Got and it. so, yeah. um, so that's it. It's just y'all do those things because they were commanded. Yes. And, and, and that, that that's a natural. And that's just a sign that you've accepted his faith. Basically. Yeah, it's kind it's of like, like um, that. Yeah. I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of how to say this. It's not the thing that gets you into heaven, but it's the it's the sign that you've been saved. It's the thing that necessarily follows your acceptance of Christ. It has to. All right. But you don't, it's not your bad system that gets you in there. Okay. Right. Got it. So that's what we try separating is the fruit from the work. Like Mm -hmm. the fruit's not the work that gets you into heaven. The fruit is the fruit of your salvation. And that's where we're going to have our, yeah, our difference. So for our, our steps, um, you repent, have faith, be baptized. And then if you commit a mortal sin after baptism, you need to repent again and have um, and have faith that you turned away from that sin. And then you go to confession 
or perform a perfect act of contrition that can be outside of confession if you don't have the mm-hmm. chance to go to confessions, which mm-hmm. I've, I've done that before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, What's an act of contrition? So you have a, I think you have a partial act of contrition and a perfect act of contrition. The perfect is whenever you are, um, you're confessing your sins to God in a way of, I am heartily sorry that I offended you. So it's not, I'm, I want to go to heaven and therefore I'm sorry. It's you are my father and I love you and I have offended you and I'm truly sorry for that. Mm-hmm. And so that's, um, I guess like that's truly turning your heart away from the mortal sin that you committed, um, which is it's for Catholics, it's different than venial sins. So mm-hmm. we have different types of sin. Um, and so that would be like if I committed murder and right. I didn't, yeah. Now, um, I'm sorry, this is going to, be a rapid right turn yeah but there was something we discussed at the beginning as far as being able to be christian but not being saved um would you say that in those moments where you're no longer saved you could still be called a christian uh i honestly haven't put too much thought into that i do know that you can turn away from your sin well i I don't know okay i don't know because I, i think that you can still believe in christ but you've severed yourself from him. I mean, like the, uh, but, but, okay, what does Christian mean to you, I guess? Well, the problem is today it's been watered down because we are called a Christian nation mm-hmm. and we are far from being a Christian you nation. Agree with that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, I, yeah. We have a bunch of Protestants here. <laughs> but <laughs> okay. You, okay. <laughs> so, so what do you mean by being Christian? Um, it's a person we, who's, who's a Christ follower. Okay. It's a follower of Christ. Christ-like. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would think that you can, hmm, yeah, I think that you can be a Christian without being saved. Okay. Because, I, we, again, you can lose, like, we say that you can lose your salvation through mm-hmm. more, committing mortal sin. Yeah, but whatever you're in that act of rebellion, are you really following Christ if you're not doing So it's the, a follower yeah. of Christ? Yeah, it's, it's yeah, and, and being a follower of Christ, like Chris just said, is someone who is Christ-like. So mm-hmm. you're in the process of sanctification. It's one of those things where we don't necessarily have the formal steps like Catholics have uh, as far as partial and mm-hmm. uh, full contrition. But uh, we are we are a First John 1, 9 faith. We, we do do the same things that you guys do. It's just not, a for, it's not as formal mm-hmm. as what you guys have. Yeah. You know, um, I, w- I would say like, okay, cause this is kind of what um, I think messed us up the other day is whenever you were talking about the three tiers. Yeah. Um, and you said that the first tier would basically be the apostles creed. And that's um, mm-hmm. what defines you as a Christian. I would say what what's in the first tier is found in the apostles creed. Okay. Cause yeah. I would mm-hmm. think that, so, so could these, mm-hmm. could the first tier it contain other things beyond the apostles creed? I would, I would think that one of the, <clears throat> I think that many people would put into the first tier that the Bible consists of the words of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I would say that that's not in the Apostles' Creed, but that that is in first tier. Because okay. um, I think that you could believe all those things. But if you sever yourself from God, I mean, um, then... That you, could still, you could still believe those things, but mm-hmm. not be saved, I think. I, okay. you know, I, I think that's, I hate to say it's not a fair question. Mm. Who's, who's isn't yours? What's, what was my well, question? Well, your, your question is, can you, if you, if you've given it back, are you no longer considered a Christian? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't think that's fair question because 
that that person has has renounced. I, I, she'd have to almost say what it takes to to lose it, right? Well, she would have to think about that. She's having to think about it. But mm -hmm. what's really going on is you've renounced Christ. That's the only way you can lose it, right? Mm. Uh, not mm, not well, renouncing. Catholics. I mean, it's I guess renouncing Christ through committing mortal sin. How does the scripture, no man can pluck you from the Father's hand, uh, come into this? I think Dang, I I, brought John Lennox's book. Yeah, go ahead. Sam. I, well, I, I would think that, like, um, and I haven't read the specific, because um, there's like, there's so many components to like salvation in the church and everything that it's hard to get like deep, deep dive into everything. But with that specific verse, what I would say is that um, you yourself have free will and you can decide to to run away from Christ. I, I, I would just say I have a hard time believing that somebody who would not be justified would be called a Christian. Mm -hmm. OK, so I'm going to answer it for her. Mm -hmm. No, you're no longer a Christian. Mm -hmm. She's saying you could be a Christian and then be no longer one. I don't believe that, but that's what the Catholic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I think the biggest takeaway that, that I've had so far is that in Catholicism, sanctification is part of justification. Yes. That's the big thing. That's the yeah. big thing. That's okay. it, yeah. And, and so, I feel like that's what, that's what mm -hmm. causes a lot of confusion whenever you talk like Protestants and Catholics trying to talk to each other. Yeah. And so that's how you can lose salvation. If you are no longer being sanctified, let's say, yeah. then you have lost your justification as well. Yes. Okay. And so the Protestants do differ in that regard. Yes. You can stray as far away as you want. And this is the thing that Protestants often bring up mm -hmm. is no one can be plucked from my hand. You, no matter what you do, that initial moment that you had where you accepted Jesus Christ as your savior, you cannot be plucked from his hand. Yes. Yeah. Got um, it. Okay. And, and my, again, like, and also my response to that too, is that there are verses that discuss mm -hmm. Um, salvation, redemption, forgiveness, sanctification um, is a future event. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just a past event and it doesn't just stay a past event. It, it discusses future things too. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah one can, thing that's frequently said at DTS is we are in the process of being saved. Mm -hmm. We are not saved. This, we are in the process of well, how, What does that mean then? Because if you have justification, aren't you saved? No, because we are still in this fallen world at this time and the fulfillment of things to come has not happened. Mm -hmm. So the future kingdom, once that comes, that's the end of sin. That's the end of pain, suffering, all that. That's whenever salvation is complete. The glorification of the body. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's in the future. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, but justification means that you are free from the penalty of sin. Yeah, you're free from the penalty of sin, meaning that you're not condemned to hell. So you're going to heaven. So, yeah. And so, and, and so, I want to, I want to make that clear. Like, you're not condemned to the lake of fire. Yeah. That's okay. what I'm talking about. Heaven goes. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then, so what's so? How do you how do you achieve sanctification and the free from the power of sin? That's the Holy Spirit indwelling in you okay. and uh, convicting. Can you lose sanctification? All right. These are good questions. It's a good question. Yeah. Can, mm -hmm. can, you, can you quit your, can you stop your walk? Can, can. There, there is a, there is real quick to answer that question. Okay. I was reared by absolutely you can. And in fact, if you go too long, he'll take you off the earth because he can't use you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, come on home. You're, you're useless here now. So he kills I, you? I think I may have heard that way back. 
but I got a long history in church. But, I, <laughs> but in the midst of this whole thing, let me just read this because this will come into play. It's John 1, 7. If we walk in light as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all, A-L-L, from all sin. The blood of, wait, let me, wait. So you're talking about that's, that, that would be your justification verse. Yes, that, 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 that would be mm -hmm. a justification. Okay. All right, I'm yeah. going to read these from the catechism. Got it. But mm -hmm. don't let me forget 219 because I'm going to go scroll up and I don't want to. 219, got it. All right. So sanctification is defined in, in this way, 1996. Our justification comes from the grace of God, his favor, the free. Well, I think I'm reading the wrong one. I am. I'm reading the wrong way. That's why I have to keep going up. The grace of the Holy Spirit, this is 1987, has the power to justify us. That is to cleanse us from the, our sins and to communicate to us righteousness of God through faith in Christ and through baptism. So it does add baptism in it, into theirs. Mm -hmm. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we, we take part in Christ's passion by dying to sin and his resurrection by being born to a new life. We are members of the, his body, which is the church, branches grafted into the vine, which is himself. Okay, first work of grace upon the Holy Spirit is, is, is conversion. All right, now, dropping down, what was the number? 219. 219. Justification includes remission of sins, sanctification, and the renewal of the inner man. So it includes, it includes the sanctifying grace. Mm -hmm. So that's where I wanted to make sure that, that I, you, know, you knew that I wasn't just making this up. That yeah. That's why, that's where, that's the big difference. And why you can see why they think that you can lose it, mm -hmm. because if if you stumble in your walk severely enough, you're no longer you're no longer persevering. You're no longer doing what you're supposed to do. And we we as Christians know what that means. He's going to pull out his whip, start. He's going to get us back in line, either by light or by heat, one of the two, mm -hmm. as as a as a as a justified believer. But as a Christian, I mean, as a Catholic, oh, I should say Christian Catholic. Christian Catholic, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I believe Catholics are Christians. Yeah, that's yes. redundant, yeah. All right, well, let me say this again. When you take catechism and say a, a, a mature believer will have followed everything that's in that catechism. So mm -hmm. if we, we're going to have done everything except go through the, the liturgies of the, of the Catholic Church in the process of becoming Catholic, we've done all these things. And so you really can't see the difference between mm -hmm. it. Once you once you've walked with Christ, mm -hmm. it's, it's those who've stumbled across the problem. Mm -hmm. Wait, so what's the uh, the John um, verse that you had again? John, it was, it was, uh, John 1 7. Oh. No, it was John. I thought it was John, but I could have made a mistake. Was it John? Yeah. Oh, John it, it was John 1 7. Sorry, yeah. sir. Wait, John 1 7. He came to bear witness that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness to the light. That's what I have. Maybe it was First John one seven. Because whenever he says that it was a cleanses from all sins, I've I've thought that that was the First John one nine verse. So one seven through nine. Okay, let me get there. Let me read twenty twenty seven while she's looking for it. This is this is in the Catechism twenty twenty seven. No one can merit the initial grace, which is at the, which is at the origin of conversion. Very similar to ours. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Moved by the Holy Spirit, we can merit for ourselves and for others all the graces needed to attain eternal life, as well as necessary temporal goods. 
The grace of the Holy Spirit could confer, confer true merit on us by virtue of adoptive filiation in accordance with God's gratuitous justice. Charity is the principal source of merit before God. So it's just it's just putting them together. Yeah. Yes, there is First John one seven. Okay, I'm, I'm getting there. See John one seven. First See John, John one seven. Mm-hmm. But it says First John one seven right here. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. No, no, no worries. Okay. Read it out loud. Okay. All the way through nine. In um, Greek. All the way through nine. <laughs> read, read one seven all the way through nine. Okay. Uh, this, I'm just going to start with five and then end with ten. Um, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not live according to the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we've deceived ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So um, what I what I would say about that is as far as forgiveness of sin goes, there is past forgiveness of sins and there's future forgiveness of sins. Um, found in the Bible. And so let's see. I'm reading that one verse again. We have fellowship with one another, the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's so I, I think I do think that whenever you confess your sins, um, he can he cleanses you from that sin. That's uh, I don't have a problem with that. Whenever you say all sin though, um I would say that it wouldn't cover mortal sin that you haven't that you have not committed yet and have not confessed yet. All right. So coming up, you know, this Jim, Jim knows this probably Sarah too. And I know that Chris has, cause we've argued about it. Um, that first John one nine is one of the m- most, um, stressed verses for me growing up in that. This is what I was taught that once you're, justified once you've accepted christ and you're no longer subject to the penalty of sin you're not part of the family of god that you are a baby christian and you are going to sin and you're going to keep sinning because you're not free from the presence of sin it's you're not dead yet you still have the old sin I'm nature not dead yet. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> you have the old sin nature and you you're continuing to sin that this is that that verse that first john that she just read is for people who've accepted Christ and that there is provision for that sin. And that is that if you confess it, God is faithful and just to forgive you and allow you to continue the the Christian walk in sanctification. So that is, and in our, me growing up, that was a sanctification verse. Mm -hmm. That's what that was. And that I do do that still. When I sin, I stop and I confess my sins to God and say, you know what? I've, I've, I've sinned. I tell God I've sinned and I, I name it, say, this is what I did wrong. And I accept that grace. That means I'm cleansed from that. I, I, just like it was the chosen when Mary went back and gambled, she came back. He said, I forgive you. Let's move on. <laughs> and, I, I, and I thought that was a very good depiction of first John one nine mm-hmm. confess it, move on. Come on, let's go. You know, that's that's an interesting thing, though, because, again, that's something that we slightly diverge from because we do believe that you do move on. But 
Um, whenever I was, oh, sorry, I just ruined your sculpture right mm-hmm. there. Um, <laughs> if you, uh, so, so the Catholics see it as there's two different types of punishment that are found in the Bible. Um, one of them is eternal punishment. That's why I asked you about eternal, um, punishment earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the other one is temporal and temporal is, um, is why we have penance and indulgences, the temporal sin. So, um, uh, that's Wait, something that, uh, Catholics, uh, is indulgences still a thing? No, okay. not anymore, but that's why it was a thing. And indulgences existed far, like a lot longer before they became like the, the people started using them problematically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of history behind indulgences but for penance that's still a thing um and uh, i think that people get confused about penance for sins because they think that's what gets you eternal salvation Mm -hmm. but that's not what it does all it's supposed to do is um it's aimed at uh temporal punishment um that you have to be in a state of, of forgiveness. So you've already confessed your sins, but you have impaired uh, fellowship with Christ after you commit that sin against him because you've offended him um, like a father. And he's talked about this, like there's, there's different passages in the Bible, but um, he's still a father to his servants um, and he will still punish them temporally. And it doesn't have to do with his internal salvation. So for instance, um, David, after he, committed adultery and murder, um, God killed the child and there was some familiar problems too. Well, um, I don't, I, you know, confessing your sins, well, I'll let you, I'll let you get on that. Let me just say mm-hmm. this real quick. I don't think that confessing sin necessarily undoes the, 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 the effects of that sin. Mm-hmm. If I go and get somebody pregnant and I confess it, that baby's still there. Mm-hmm. Okay. You were going to say something. <laughs> um, not right now. Okay. okay. Yeah. You had a look on your face like you wanted to say yeah, something. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, we'll let, you, <laughs> we'll let those thoughts wrestle in your head while we discuss this. Right. One of the things that I was going to say was similar to what our dad said, that it's often said, even in Protestant circles, that the sin is forgiven, but there are still consequences. Mm-hmm. Like, the, you can't undo certain consequences only god could undo those if you wanted to yeah you know and so the like he said if you get a girl pregnant you confess your sins you're in right standing with god now you're practicing righteousness with these circumstances now in play and go take care of that child mm-hmm. yes and so that's that's what it is and so now now that you've impregnated this girl you could be in good standing with god even though that's not undone but now you have to take care of two families instead of one. Yep. And the results of drugs and alcohol are wonderful. Temporarily. You can you can been cleansed, but there's uh, many times there's uh, circumstances that come up because of what you did mm-hmm. yes um yeah. and so that and, and i got that wrong we do still have indulgences but it's not what like it's uh it's in a very specific way mm-hmm. um but part of that is again like whenever it comes to the consequences of sin and part of that consequence is not even again like humanly consequences that we deal with i mean because it could be that somebody doesn't find out that you did something bad to them and so you don't really have to suffer that but you still 
hurt your relationship with Christ. And there's still going to be that, um, I guess like you still need to work on him, like work with him as a fatherly figure about like the punishment and the, the, um, getting back in line with his obedience. And so that's what, uh, indulgent acts are aimed at doing. And so that's, uh, you can like certain things like aimed at like reading the scripture for what you like for certain things. Um, uh, saying the rosary. So all of y'all agree with that, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. And, uh, I got that thing memorized. Yeah. Um, (laughs) renewing baptismal promises. And then like, I guess there are certain things like, again, aimed at, um, this is what I've done. And this is me, uh, just showing like working with God to show that, uh, I'm I still love him and want to be, uh, in union with him. May I say this real quick as a father, it warms my heart that my daughter spent this much time trying to put this together and understand mm-hmm. it. That you got so, a lot of notes over there. I have yes, so many yes. notes. I'm putting, I have so many notes. All right, so let's do yeah. this. Can we, can we retreat? Yes. As you know, Baptists love to retreat. I've always wondered why. <laughs> why, why do you retreat? Somebody you should want to go forward. <laughs> no, we're going to a retreat. Oh, what are you guys going to do? That's why we don't have Baptist Marines. We don't have My whole life in a Baptist church, we're like, why are you retreating? <laughs> All right, so but let's let's go back with this. The core beliefs, your beliefs, the tier one. What are they? Yeah, tier one. Like I said, would be let's just go with this: grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. Like it's only Christ's work that could save you. Um, that there's a trinitarian God. Okay. That um, so like I said, many people, including me, would put this in there that the Bible is God's words in one deposit. I would say that. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. Um. Well, but there's not many. Like, that's the thing is their core beliefs. Right. And so these are the things that you believe and now you're, you could be considered Christian and not heretical. Yeah. But you, yes, yes, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, and now, and then, and then what we're trying to do now here, just to make sure we're clear what we're trying to do this podcast is we're trying to say that we're, we're wanting to know what the core beliefs for the Catholics are. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I would say that adding to, the Bible is God's word. You know that like we put tradition on the same level, mm-hmm. like capital T tradition. And capital that's where, T, yep. and I do want to distinguish. Yeah. Like, can you walk us through? Example. Case cap- yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the, I think the best example that I have is, um, is about actually the, uh, the status of bishops and priests in, um, in the church. So there cannot be, female priest that is that is that is a capital T tradition that is part of um if like you're communion with the church you're supposed to accept the church's teachings on that and that is one of those um capital t's that you have to to believe in and that again that comes from paul i think but um the lowercase tree which is compared yeah lowercase t which is comparison is whether priests can be married or not so we don't think that um that they have to be single um, and devout to God alone. They can be married, but that's something that we chose to do. So that's like mm-hmm. just part of like the church's decision. All right. So step it back a little bit. How do you determine what's capital T versus lowercase T? Um, that's a really good qu- uh, question. Hold up. It starts with P and it rhymes with P. Cool. <laughs> so, um, like, wait, just, just, just Inside yeah, you're good. And if this is something that can't be answered on today's podcast, that's yeah, we're not trying to, yeah, this yeah. is something again, like there's just so many different like prongs mm-hmm. of this that it makes it really difficult. But, um, oh geez. 
I can't give you the exact question right. of how we get it, but I do mm -hmm. know that it comes from um, the church, like the papacy and the magisterium. There are certain things that they have built up um, since uh, since St. Peter. Oh, yeah. St. Peter started the church. Mm -hmm. um, Let me ask you this, Jim. Take, let's go the other way back on that. She believes that 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 it would be. She could. I'm not so sure that we're really putting that at the core belief for her because she could not attend a church with a she would not go to a church with a female pastor. Mm -hmm. Right. All right. That's not a core belief, though. Something that keeps you from church is not necessarily a core belief. So that's it for that me. Is. No, no, no. Well, but give me one second. So I want to. I want to differentiate here between uh, core beliefs and beliefs that aren't necessarily compatible. So I could I could believe something second tier that's not compatible with a particular church, which makes me not attend that church, even though I think that yes. those people in that church are still Christian. Yes. But I would not attend that church. That's what I, that's okay. what I thought you were saying. Yes, yeah. I agree with you. Right. I agree with you. So so the fact that she believes you can't have a female pastor. You do believe you can, right? Um, that's very difficult for me to answer because I've, I've done a lot of reading on it. And, you know, I always quote the verse that, uh, Philip had what five daughters that prophesied and most people understand prophesying, speaking forth the word of God. And so, and then I look at history and I see that very seldom has there been a, uh, woman pastor that was very successful. And Amy McPherson was one of them out in California. And still from time to time, the newspaper comes out blasting her. Uh, that's, that's how upset the devil is of what she did. Uh, also, uh, Catherine Kuhlman. Uh, in in the 50s, 60s, 70s, maybe the 80s. Would you attend a church with a female past, pastorette? I would not. A pastorette? I would not. <laughs> a pastorette. <laughs> but I have, I, I have no problems with those people. Um, you know, God is God. And if he put it in their heart to do that, that's between right, them and God. So that's the God. point. I think that somebody going through that church, the McPherson church, I would not say they're not Christian because they were going there. Yeah. So that means it's not tier one for me. It's not tier one. And, and the same way with Catherine Cooley. I mean, there were uh, tremendous miracles that happened under her. And she was out of Pennsylvania. And she was on the radio. And she liked to wear, in, in, when she held her meetings, these long flowing gowns. And she had a either a speech impediment or she just enjoyed talking in a very peculiar way. And but she was very successful. Many people, many Catholics were actually baptized with the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues during that period of time. By the way, I find the tongues in the Catechism, it's in there. It is, yes, yeah. We gift. do believe in tongues, yeah. They do. I, I mean, I, I did not realize that it's in their Catechism. You have to work hard to take it out. That's biblical. <laughs> no, actually, I agree with you. That is, that is extremely biblical. I mean, like they have, I think it was, I think it was Paul. I'm just gonna, everything I attribute to Paul. But um, there's the writing Saint about St. Paul. Paul, yeah, the writing um, on on how much of a blessing it is to have that ability to speak tongues. Um, All right. So, so so back to this thing. I don't think that now Sarah would make it pure one. Yeah, there's a lot of things because if we're talking about 
salvation coming through the church, then that means that whatever the church's practices are, are often going to be in tier one I think what, for Catholics. Yeah, so that, that comes in with communion with the church. Mm-hmm. So you, whenever you go into communion with the church, that's like the RCIA process basically. And, um, and accepting the, you, you have to accept all the teachings of the church, which is the dogma. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it'd be the dogma that would mm-hmm. be part of that where, um, like is dogma capital C. Yeah. Tradition. Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's well, like a combo. No, I, I, I'm not an expert on this. Mm-hmm. I have interpreted this so from hearing it over and over again it's a big middle-aged thing huge middle-aged thing was dogma dogma is an interpretation of scripture that's accepted is what i understood it to be and if you went outside that the dogmatic people would come after you well did you know know i'm saying really yes that's where that word dogmatic comes from and i understand that that's part of the catholic church because before they prayed to Mary, they prayed to Anna, who was the mother of Mary. Say Anne, not Anna. Yeah. yeah sorry. But I don't remember. Shouldn't I don't know. Did, wait, did we, when did we pray to St. Anne? Uh, actually, I, I don't think, know about this either. Uh, this up until new. Martin Luther. And I think that Martin Luther, uh, he kind of uh, wanted to change things to pray to Mary. Martin Luther wanted to change to pray to Mary? Yeah, this is before he nailed his thesis to the yeah, he was, door. I, mean, I know that. That's he, he's rather founder, fascinating. Well, I, I, I've read a lot of that and read exactly what I did. I'm just repeating. I'm going to have to find it because I will tell you this. I've gone through Martin Luther's life several times. I didn't know this. Well, okay. I'll tell you what. All I Googled was, in essence, why do uh, the Catholics pray to Mary? And I got into some things that I didn't even know. She used a sentence that went right along with what they said. I'm not doubting. I want to tell you. I want you not doubting you. Okay. Yeah, I'm just I telling you. But I'm, I'm just telling you. That I have not read all history. I told I you how <laughs> I pulled it up with Google. I've missed some. I want you know that, and I've been surprised before. And I was shocked to see Martin Luther's. See, name all right. I see is uh, the only thing. Like whenever I look up, pray to, pray to Saint Anne, Martin Luther. He apparently prayed to Saint Anne during a thunderstorm. You know, That's right. In fact, he was knocked to the ground. Uh, uh, Glenn is Glenn is probably laughing right now because I'm the one trying to keep us on point. Trying to keep us on point. I'm the one fighting for that, and I'm usually the one bringing us off point. I want back on this. Okay. Okay. I want back on the point. Does what is Sarah's tier one belief? There we go. Yeah. 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 Wait, wait. Okay. So I would say. The, the creed, which we also have, like, the Nicene Creed. Um, but as far as, like, okay, whenever we talk about beliefs, or, like, the tier one, I'm talking about salvation. And if you're talking about Catholic salvation and there's a separation for people who are outside of the church um, who can still make it to heaven, so that's going to be a whole separate thing in itself. But for Catholics, um, you do – it's for the plan for salvation is repent, have faith, be baptized – and if you commit mortal sin after baptism, you have to repent and you go to confession and that's what's going to get you salvation. But as part of that, be baptized. I think that goes along with getting into communion with the church and that that's where you come into. Um, you have to accept the beliefs and teachings of the church. All right. Uh, I, can I try? Yes. I think I think that I think that the Eucharist 
is a core belief. If you're not if you're not taking Eucharist and it is, and you believe it has to be transubstantiation. That's that's can, that's okay. Wait, wait. Can I just break that down though? That's becoming like getting into communion with the church, which I just went into. So that's that's part of it. And then the dogma mm-hmm. is Eucharist is transubstantiation. Right. But so whenever I write these things down, this is what I was discussing the other day: is that for Protestants, tier one is rather limited. Right. For Catholics, it's Almost seems all encompassing. It's going to be anything that's in their liturgy. Right. Yeah. Yes. And so that would be the big area of hesitation for me. It's like as soon as you open up that tier one to be all encompassing like that, then the grace alone through faith alone, the Christ alone, it goes away for me. The strength of the blood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and to to ignore the blood, by one man's death reigned by one Adam. Much more we wish to receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life through one Jesus See, I would, Christ. I would say and, that and the blood paid the penalty. Let me, let me say this because, I, because I'm, you know how I do. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. We get it. All right. We get it. That you cannot reconcile as a core belief the Catholic faith. All right. Because you, you're adding, you think, in your view, mine too, I won't lie, mm-hmm. that I don't add to the grace, to the sacrifice of Christ. That was sufficient. Mm-hmm. That's all it took, accepting that, right? Yeah. She. That's sola fide. You'll have sola fide. Mm-hmm. We don't. Yeah. yeah. Right. All right. So, so, but because they add sanctification to this, now the liturgy, all the things that they believe in, our core beliefs, there we go. Yeah. she can't come to us. Mm-hmm. That's yes. why we have this incompatibility with the Catholic Church that we don't say with the Church of Christ, who also has things that they want to say are part of salvation that we would say are not. Mm-hmm. Well, see, the other thing is one mediator between God and man, and, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. Is that a core belief? Could but you? Could you? There's one mediator between. All right. So, I think, so I think that's a core belief with us. All right. I I'm absolute. That's one of my main reasons I I have not gone Catholic is yeah. because I do not want to give up my priesthood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just, see what you're saying. So, like that that priesthood determination also would do, would define your status with Catholicism. Like if you believe that you have a priesthood, you can't be Catholic. Is that correct, Sarah? Huh. That I don't need a priest. Yeah, that we don't. If we believe that we are priests. I mean, that's where this is all coming from. Yeah. Is that it's, mm-hmm. it's through the Catholic Church. And right. the Catholic mm-hmm. Church is the one that has yeah. the. Boom. She's the got it. She understands it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so to simplify things here, the determination of things that are in tier one depends on whether you believe in justification. That justification is completely its own category, independent of sanctification. Maybe not independent. Maybe that's not the right word. But. There are two distinct categories, whereas if the Catholic Church believes that there's justification and sanctification all in one mix, then now all of a sudden that tier one explodes. That becomes everything because, becomes tier because one. Because we have, wait, no, that, no, 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 it's not, I wouldn't say Not everything, everything. yeah, that might it, be a it, No, it expands mm-hmm. it to include the church. Like that's, yeah. like, that's where the expansion comes from specifically mm-hmm. is that we see in the Bible that God has set up a church through Peter mm-hmm. and that he, it was a very specific setup and like they they go into bishops and deacons and then you read the apostolic fathers too. And so those are the people that came immediately after the apostles 
and um, they learned from them. And you have St. Ignatius of Antioch, which I can't remember who he was under. I think it was either Luke or John, or I think it was John. He was under John. John. Was Polycarp under John or was it Ignatius? Uh, let's see. Might have both. Honestly. Yeah, so um, that, that's a blur to me. They were right there together. <laughs> so um, Ignatius is talking about don't separate yourself from the bishop mm-hmm. and is, is very uh, adamant about sticking with the church and not allowing the church to become divided. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I would say that there is a there we like that's where apostolic succession comes from. Mm-hmm. And with apostolic succession uh, is the unity with the church. Yeah. And apostolic succession is uh, that's. The um basically the laying of hands. So it started with Peter and the other disciples. Um, and after they went away, there's basically a whole field and who's going to be teaching the word of God, and that's done through the laying of hands. They select uh, other people to carry on that work after them, and that includes like the binding and the loosing, the forgiveness of sins. Um, and so that there's actually biblical references to this, right? And yeah, uh, first is it Second Timothy? Yeah, first Timothy. Timothy. I think it's yeah, first. Yeah. Timothy. I think it's, it's first. where Paul tells Timothy to be careful who you lay your hands on. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, and so that's where we see the setup of the church happen. And you can you can see that continuation in the fathers, the early fathers, which I think that that is um, a very good indication of this is what people at that time were being taught is that there was some kind of uh, church that you don't need to separate yourself mm-hmm. from. And it's the church that gets this. Authority, like, has no, was that Bible verse explicit about, sorry, you can say, no, 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 no. Was I'm, that, I'm not going to forget what I'm thinking about. Okay. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. I was that thought too. I hope was, I can hold it. All right. Was that Bible verse uh, specific about what laying of hands meant or where do you get Anything specifically related to the laying of hands and how that determined position. And and may I add to that that mm-hmm. believers should lay hands on the sick, mm-hmm. it does say. So the That's laying on the hands has a lot to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you could write a book on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, are you are you killing time or I mean do I need to kill time or do you want Yeah, if you, you can kill time for a I, second so I can let, let me just do you know me the, the, the historian who's not really a historian and probably says more wrong than right. <laughs> I I really took a big interest in the Catholic Church because of the Middle Ages. That's when I they've done their worst and their best work. They, their, their worst days and their best days were during the Middle Ages. And I got into the Abelard, Occam, uh, they, these, these Middle Age, the, the times during the Middle Ages where they were discussing what was going to be dogma of the Church. And the dogma the, the, the debates that they did not want out to the people because they were really trying to work it out themselves. It wasn't they were trying to hide it from the people, but they wanted a straight, good, healthy debate between the two views. And the two views boil down to Plato's idea of what reality is and what was Aristotle's view of reality not that it not that they were not that they were wanting to change the bible they accepted the bible as the bible but what needed to be saved what was it that needed to be saved was it the individual or was it the church and plato looked at the reality of what was real is the human race we are just 
cells within that human race. Okay? And Aristotle, his star pupil, comes behind him and goes, no, 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 I'm real. And I'm dealing with what's going on with me. And it, that's just a classification as to what the human race is. He's a human because he's, so that's just a classification no different than you would say for snakes or dogs or whatever other genre, right? They had this debate over and over and over again. And they went with Plato that the, the salvation is the, the church is saved, and you get that salvation by joining into that church. That's what they were ultimately came down, came up with, was that. So, and then Protestants don't look at it that way. We look at it like each individual has to be saved, and that puts you in the church. You're now yeah, in the, the church body. is the body of Christ. Well, that's what she's going to say too. Yeah, we're going to both agree on that. I think. Right, mm-hmm. but the difference is. To, to participate in that salvation as a Catholic, you have to join that church. You have to become a member. But Jesus is the head, not Peter. We do agree that it is Christ that is guiding us. Once you're in, not taking yeah. that out. Once you're in, Sarah, I don't, again, I want to tell you this in advance. I, I, I dare somebody who to, to look at a, a, a mature Catholic person and a mature Protestant and find a difference. It's not going to be much. Right. It's not going to be much. I Like, it'll be, I hate calling it this, but theoretical issues as far as how yes. you're saved. And difficult enough that I'm not sure I made the point still. Mm-hmm. They debated this stuff over and over and over again. They were trying to come up with exactly what is being saved. But if you see, a, you, I see what you're saying. If you're looking at, a Catholic and a Protestant who are living their lives out in a mature faith, you're not going to practically see the difference between the two. I agree. Yeah. Yes. Now, oh, yeah, I agree yes. with that. I, I'll say this. You will see some difference. Yeah. You'll see yeah. subtle difference. Like we drink and we dance. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I think you'll see issues of matters of opinion and like those, but also you'll see Catholics who are adamant. <laughs> There won't be a difference there, like who are adamant about going to mass. Christians who are mature in their faith are adamant about going to church. Confessing to a priest would be one of those. However, however, whether they say it or not, that's no longer a core belief. It's what they do. It's just what they do. I confess daily. But that issue of priesthood, though. I agree. I agree. But are you going to be able to tell the difference between a person who is a mature critic? Outside of that, correct, yes. You're going to see it in practices. You're going to mm-hmm. see it in how they do it. We, we are, I think First John 1, 9 makes it very clear, as a Christian, you better be confessing your sins. In that James five sixteen, not just confessing your sins to God, but confessing to one another. And so, well, at times it does say false. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I would say this: if I sinned false. against you, I probably need to confess that against mm-hmm. to, to yeah. you, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't need to go confess. To right, anyone. you don't have to confess to everyone. Yeah, you confess to one another. And I think the the main this is my interpretation of that is that the main reason for that is so that you can pray over your brother specifically. Hey, he's struggling with this, or he's struggling with this sin. So that's and that might not be the only reason that you do it. Because, like you said, if you sinned against me, it might help 
that I know but that I, you sinned against but me. But I feel like the issue here is that um, it's John twenty nineteen through 23, where Christ is talking to the apostles and gives this him this insane authority. If you forgive the sins of any, they were forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Mm-hmm. This will be the issue of dispensationalism, though. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. There are there are stages in redemptive history, and I am a dispensationalist to some capacity. I really do believe that there are different stages in history, and that there, uh, even though it might not necessarily be as well defined as we would like, there are certain things that even Catholics would say, yeah, that's no longer a thing. Yeah, I mean, like if we look at the Old Testament, like certain things with that, yeah. obviously. Yeah. But um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I would say that that could have happened so if you look at um acts um after they need the replacement of uh of what's his face what's that guy talking about judas yes judas Mm -hmm. so (laughs) they're they're trying to figure out what to do he should not be named yeah yeah, exactly it's like voldemort don't say this um so so they were having that discussion of what to do it says let his habitation be desolate no let there be no one to live in it and then others say let his office uh, his office let another take and then that's how you end up getting the replacement of him so it seemed Mm -hmm. that they were they were determined to replace the apostle so he could continue the teaching of christ Mm -hmm. and it's the same thing with and that's where you get the apostolic fathers after these apostles are getting old and they're getting martyred Mm -hmm. and whatnot they have uh, successors and that's where you get Ignatius and Clement and um, these future bishops and in their writings, they say, don't stray from the church. And um, mm-hmm. I know, again, like that's not that's not in the Bible, but those are people being taught by those who uh, for, for were pur- actively mm-hmm. part of the Bible. Mm-hmm. For purposes of today, I'm willing to accept all of this. stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. That that's what the Catholics believe. OK, because, again, I, I, try, I tried to tell you yesterday, I, I'm going to agree with everything you're saying mm-hmm. in the Catholic Church believes goes with justification. Mm-hmm. That's what they believe. They believe that sanctification, they believe baptism is part of justification. They believe that sanctification, which we think is part of baptism, is part of sanctification. Yes. I agree with you on that. I'm going to say that they that they are going the, 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 where, I think we've gotten where we were trying to get to. The reason that Catholics seem in a different class than, say, the Church of Christ, who also has a lot of legalistic things that we would look at as legalism. Well, United Pentecost does, too. All right, United Pentecost, too. All right, they have things, but why do we not go after them like we do the Catholics? And the reason I think it is, is because they exclude us. They literally... Yes, they do. Exclude us from their from their. But the yeah. Church of Christ might exclude us too. Well, I if think we go over there and want to take communion, I think it's more. But it might be more obvious than that that the Catholic Church is a lot bigger than those two denominations are. True, a lot. Yes, and so I don't know how much of the population it takes up in the Christian community, but I think worldwide, it's, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah, worldwide, yeah, would be mm-hmm. the way to look at yeah. It. Mm-hmm. All right, well, but still, I, 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 the, the thing is, is that I can't take communion with my own wife now. It's mm-hmm. not right. Yeah, something's not right. So, but, but we can, yeah, you like, get a again, like for yeah, that. like what I would say mm-hmm. is that that is like, like we have different, I guess, readings into what 
like that communion's about and we see it as like communion with the body of Christ and that's the that's the church Mm -hmm. um and so that's where the exclusion comes from and again we would have to get into apostolic succession and the history of the church to really understand why there's there's that exclusion but you also have to consider this and this is something that I think is extremely important um we believe in transubstantiation that body like that that bread and wine becomes God Mm -hmm. like that is that is literally the sacrifice the paschal lamb that um that we are receiving in the sacrifice of the mass. And um, it's, it's like, is part of that uh, communion with the church, joining the church, accepting the church. Um, you have to accept that teaching and recognize that this is the gift of all gifts, mm-hmm. um, that God has sacrificed himself for us. And that's how we're able to reach that eternal, eternal salvation. So it's extremely serious. Mm-hmm. Administrator at Green Clinic, Went to our church. Mm-hmm. He believed in transubstantiation. Yes. I did not say, well, then you can't take communion with us. He was welcome to take communion with us. That's, he was a believer. But you don't have transubstantiation, do you? No, we don't believe. No, that's you don't. So, yeah, yeah. You know, and that's that's the point is that. But, uh, but like, you know, did, this is going to really this is going to this is going to really us. hurt. I feel like, mm-hmm. but to us, that's not the Eucharist. So that's where there's a difference. Oh, that's kind of funny because for Catholics, that would hurt. Right. <laughs> for Catholics, but whatever you, whatever that'd you be, tell yeah, them. That'd be yeah. But, but again, like that just shows how precious. No, no, no. Yeah, we understand. We, we know you like to eat your God. Yeah. Well, well that way, like, but you think about it. He's I a Paschal lamb. He's, he's yeah. a Paschal lamb. And he literally says in John 6, goes over and over and over. You're supposed to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And people are appalled mm-hmm. that he is saying something mm-hmm. so controversial mm-hmm. and horrible. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a mystery. Well, he's, he keeps telling us to, he, we could we could talk about this because That's I'm separate. like, yeah, are you, are you, like well, you go into I, I don't want to talk about this if this is something you're going to get upset over no, because I, I understand no, I that the Eucharist is very essential. No, I wouldn't but, get upset. But Simon again, Jesus uh, says something to the apostles and they don't understand it. He says the exact same thing again and again, right? And like one of those would be beware of the yeast that the Pharisees. Uh, give you or whatever beware of the yeast of the pharisees and the I thought it was beware saying, of the mark yeah that and and christ says beware of the yeast of the pharisees it's like do you mm-hmm. still not understand what i'm saying beware <laughs> of the yeast of the pharisees it's like well are they literally giving the disciples yeast it's like he says it over and over again so it's one of those things where just because he says it again and doubles down on it doubles doubles down on it yeah that's a weird way Double down. Down. Like anyway down yeah, yeah yeah but he, he if he does that it doesn't necessarily mean for me at least that what he's saying is it's literal. There's, I know that there's some, um, there's some translation things that also indicate that he's talking about like the words that he use uses is not just like casual eat. It's like mm. gnawing, as in like gnawing on food. That was the word mm-hmm. that they used for actually chomping and eating food. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also other uh, passages in the Bible that discuss. Um, the Eucharist in a way of this is like literally his body and blood, mm-hmm. and so that I feel like the, the reason like I, I would want to go too much into this because I feel like it's its own separate mm-hmm. um, yeah 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 it podcast because it it's yeah mm-hmm. and so, I would say this that that's a core belief of Sarah. If you do not believe in transubstantiation, then you're not a Christian church. Mm-hmm. Well, see, well, that goes with the teachings of the church. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a new one. <laughs> Protestants, I think. This is simple. Thank you. So thank you. Um, we hold the wafer up and we say, this is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
we're going to remember that by his stripes we were healed. Because even back in the day of the priest, when they when they took the bread, they put it on a grill, and there was because of the grill, there was stripes on it. And so we know that right now we're eating health in our bodies. And this is his blood. This cup is his blood. We're going to drink these with these things in our mind. Our purpose, in other words, our purpose is this. It's his blood that took our sin away. Not our works, but his blood. And healing is still for today because by, by his stripes, we are healed. Old Testament and New Testament reminds us of that. Mm-hmm. And so that that's uh, we don't believe it becomes his literal blood, but we believe it signifies what we have as a promise from God, the forgiveness of our sins, which is really powerful. In fact, it's only been in the last few years that I've believed it as strong as what what the uh, Baptists believe it. And uh, and I believe it very strongly now. And I understand that. Uh, the thing that Sarah's helped me see is a lot of the thoughts of the uh, Catholicism has come into a lot of groups of, of, of the Protestants, not transubstantiation, but like you can almost lose your sin or lose your salvation. I mean, real quick, and you better run to the priest and tell him about it. Well, we go to one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. real, real quick, because I know I, I like going down these side roads, so we might just stay here. Yeah. Um, sure. As far as the Passover meal goes, that yeah. was something that the Israelites did in remembrance of the Passover. Well, I mean, you think about the actual Passover, what it did. It literally saved the uh, them. From I'm talking that, about the later Passover. Meals. The later Passover. The later Passover meals were not the literal lamb that was sacrificed that night. They weren't the that same lamb, but I think that this is a different, like this is obviously a different sacrifice. Right, but this is this is also the new sacrificial lamb. That Eucharist is the new sacrifice. There was a reason we why is, we Christ is the sacrifice. There was a reason why they actually had those sacrifices, though, because it wasn't they like I don't think that those sacrifices were merely symbolic. No, it says it says yes, they were, but it says all that, of them. Yeah, so whenever we're talking about the implementation of the Passover meal that this was something that the Israelites were commanded to do so that they would remember every year what what coming out of Egyptian yes bondage. what Yahweh did for them yeah. as far as bringing them out of Egypt okay. and so it, he he makes that clear like you're doing this in remembrance of that Christ says you're eating this in remembrance of me and there so what I would say kinds, about oh, sorry there was there was all kinds of freedom mm-hmm. you know I've gone into that before uh, they weren't slaves anymore mm-hmm. and and they were headed to a promised land mm-hmm. and uh, there was not one feeble one among them, is what the Bible says. So they got healed, and uh, that that death of the first the first uh, son, the oldest son. Well, that's that's the way with us. We're either born once and die twice, or we're born twice and die once. Mm-hmm. So it's symbolic, even of the salvation that we have today. Mm-hmm. And and it's not. Wait, let me just, okay, yeah, can I ahead. add in mm-hmm. just really yeah. quickly? Uh, fortunately, for my side of things, I don't have the answer today for that, but mm-hmm. I have 2,000 years of history of church teachings <laughs> where somebody has probably definitely gone over that. So what I can do is I'm going to take a note 
mm-hmm. and I'll get that answer to you. Yeah, well, one of the things I like about Dallas Theological Seminary is they're taking that sole ownership by the Catholic Church of the Apostolic Fathers and giving it back to the Protestants. The Protestants have as much access, I believe, and we can talk about this also, have as much access to church history as the Catholic Church. Right. Yes, we exactly. believe that. We believe that that's our history. That's no good. doubt. That's good for you. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> no doubt. I mean, I, what, what, like, again, like, what, what's interesting to me, though, is the the separation from that history though i mean like that's that's ultimately what whenever what martin luther went his way he did not create a divide that the protestants could no longer have access to the apostolic fathers are we holding the yeah, hour wait, 15 minute thing but, or but, we don't have to wait so he didn't do that but he didn't he have did this morning <laughs> he didn't have apostolic succession that's the issue he was just a priest so he, he wasn't a bishop. He didn't have that authority to continue the line of apostolic Yeah, succession. but nonetheless, he did not make it to where, because it would be his decision to say, we're not holding to Catholic teachings anymore. That wasn't it. He thought that he was going the true way that the Catholic Church has strayed so far, regardless of whether that's true or not. And that's okay? why, yeah. But regardless of whether that's true, he, Martin Luther didn't say, to hell with the apostolic fathers. He didn't say that. No. Yeah. He, no. So I know. What, what I'm saying is that, it would be the Catholic Church trying to say, you guys no longer have access to this, right. which is not what the Protestants are. What I would say is that he could think that, but that doesn't mean that he's right about it. Mm-hmm. And I know that um, that separation from church, I mean, at that same time, right? Mm-hmm. That same time, they still had that belief that you're supposed to be in communion with the church. And he excommunicated himself, which is a mortal sin. Mm-hmm. And so that, that was a breakaway from the church and the church's teachings um, up to that point. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I know that he didn't. That was like, a really messed up church at that time. Well, that's yeah. that's what I. You know, here's the way I look at what what Jim just said. That really, if you want to get right down to it, is Pentecostals first, and it was right there in the upper room, and then the the church the church came to into existence, and then the church began to get so corrupt and so off base. That Martin Luther King, Martin Luther. Ah. <laughs> well, thank God before. for Martin Luther King too. Yeah. <laughs> but Martin Luther was able to bring it back. He was able to bring the 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 gospel, the truth of the Word of God, the truth about Jesus Christ, the truth about the church. He brought it back. So I see that the Catholic Church formed into this thing that was so corrupt that one of the priests said, "Hey, this they've got away from what we originally had." Well, I do want to say this, that the Catholic Church has acknowledged the problems that existed prior, immediately prior to Martin Luther. And that's, that's good. They've acknowledged it. Yeah. And, and, and done what they can to, to mm-hmm. repair it. They, had a, they did have a reformation inside the church. It was not, what was it called? Um, Wait, what we had, I mean, like we had the Council of Trent very shortly after, and you know, that, that council was aimed at correcting the errors um, at, during that time. Right. And that was, that was also, that was, I think that was like 1560s. So, uh, and, and the whole issue with Martin Luther happened shortly before that. So, um, and, and I think that that also goes into the strength of the church and the fact that it has continued despite these problems. We, we don't think that the church is perfect in everything that it does because it's a church, like Christ church, but it's filled with sinners. And so we recognize that there are going to be people who go astray and they will be eternally punished for that if they don't repent. Um, but the fact that there can be those kind of errors in the church continue pushing forward and um, providing 
uh, salvation to millions of people, despite all of that. I think that that's a testament to its, uh, its power through Christ. Hmm. Um, one little note here is that I think that there was a bad side effect that's not necessary to Protestantism. Protestantism. Wow. That was weird. Anyway, there's a bad side effect to Sola Scriptura, and I don't think it's necessary, is that people have taken it to mean that's the only source of authority. And what really it should be is its authority is singular, that it is the standard of truth that everything is measured against. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's the only source of revelation. I went over this in that paper that I wrote. Um, and I think that what many Protestants have done is they've ignored the early church fathers because they've held to sola scriptura and they've misunderstood it. Like this is the yeah, like, so how all, no, no, no analogy works. All of them break down at some point, mm-hmm. but the constitution is what we live by or supposed to live by in the United mm-hmm. States. We can pass laws as long as they're compatible with the, yep. with the constitution. Mm-hmm. And those laws are, you better obey them. Yes. They're real, mm-hmm. but they're not the constitution. I don't know if that's what you're saying or not. It probably does break down, but that's kind of how I see it. Would, I would say that that's a good initial metaphor. Yeah, we could see how it breaks down later. But I think that that's a good initial metaphor and that people who uh, ignore statutes and things like that for the Constitution say, no, we only hold to the Constitution. <laughs> and they ignore all the statutes and everything that's been passed down through all the generations. Then they do themselves a disservice because now you have missed a large part of United States legal history because you've only focused on the constitution. And so whenever Protestants, Protestants have sometimes significantly hurt themselves by ignoring the history of the church for just the Bible. They say, well, this is the only thing that we can look at. And this is the only thing that we can teach from. Well, I think that's also Mm -hmm. a concern because it's still humans that are interpreting the Bible and coming up with their, Mm their magisterium um, and their dogma well no because like again that's where you get like uh, yeah you know what i'm saying they're like you have at the 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 that's why the teachings of the church it's it's the authority for interpreting it and we see it as god intentionally set it up that way to where there is a um basically an infallible interpretation of the Bible through the church. And that's why whenever you ask, whenever you talk about the top tier, we put the teachings of the church in the top tier, like the infallible teachings. I would say that there's always um, risk of fallibility. And I think that the, that the two most dangerous forms of interpreting scripture are one extreme where you have individual interpretive authority. And then another extreme where you have, a rigid, organized hierarchy of interpretive authority. Give me one second here. Glenn, I'm going to call on you in about a minute, so be ready. So, <laughs> all right. So, let me go back through that. You have one extreme of individual interpretive authority, and then you have another extreme of, of rigid, organized interpretive authority. And I think that those two uh, areas are very dangerous as far as if the individual is interpreting the scripture on his own without consulting other sources, then he's going to more rapidly come up with various heresies because he hasn't properly been in in communication. Yes, that's how Mm -hmm. cults are formed. And he hasn't been in communication with the rest of the church. Whereas the other extreme, though, is what I look at as far as we don't like 
centralized government. I don't like centralized interpretive authority of the scripture. And that's what I think the Catholic Church does, is they go to that other extreme to where we're not, it's, it's still more of a community than it is on the other extreme, but you're, you're confining that interpretive authority to a fraction of what I believe the interpretive authority should be, which is lay theologians, professional theologians, all types of theologians coming together and reading this thing together as a community. But what do we have? We have, like, again, 2,000 years of history of insanely intelligent, devout, biblical scholars in the Catholic Church. All right, did you see? Now I want you guys to think of this. How, How Plato does that sound? Well, but it doesn't sound Plato at all because she's not talking. I would say that Plato would want the whole community, which is what I'm talking about. She's talking about a sliver. Of yeah, but they, they rely upon a, a, a very important class of men, the magisterium, to direct doctrine and dogma in that church. Very much Plato esque. We, we, need, we need an aristocracy. We need somebody up there who's smart, who has been studied. Who has gone through the rigors of of learning those doctrines to hold us to this same standard over and over again? That's very Plato. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, that church is 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 dealing with that mm-hmm. to this day. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's bad. Mm-hmm. I do want to say this that, that, that Glenn has not talked, and I'm going to put him up to the microphone and let him say something. What do you have to say, Glenn? Well, it seems to me what we're arguing about, or maybe. Not argues a bad word. What we're discussing is the this few things that separate these two Christian. Well, I wouldn't call them Christian organizations. Let's put it that way. Uh, if you look at Protestant, we have a lot of different kind of Protestant churches, right? Uh, Catholic tends to be a couple, maybe. If you, but you really got to look hard to get those couple and there's slight differences in each of them and the differences here i think come down to who gets to well gets to that's a bad one too who do you look to to find that connection with the lord jesus and catholics see it one way protestants see it another way but we all have to have more than just at least I believe this, more than just the Bible. Otherwise, it would be simple. You have to be able to investigate this. You have to be able to turn these words around. For instance, by his stripes, we are healed. Now, if we look at that passage by itself, why, you know, you can, you can, a lot of people say, well, if, if I paint stripes on myself, my body will be healed. Well, no, that's not what it means. You know, so you could go to these wild things, and in fact, cults, that's kind of what they do. They prey on people's ignorance of the word, and that you have to really, you know, the, the Bible is such an incredible book in a, from a literary point of view, and, you know, how it's been written down and kept for centuries. Well, maybe millennia, uh, two thousand years, as Sarah says, is oh, it's going to be less than two thousand years. Totally been, <laughs> you know, d- destroyed, and I think some of the reason it was written down so it wouldn't be destroyed or corrupted, 
And so I think we get into these small details and I kind of see why some of these core details come down to rejection from the Lord. Uh, I think that's what people are fighting over. Uh, they feel like, no, no, you'll be rejected if you do this. No, no, you'll be rejected if you do that. And I just don't, I guess I don't buy the fact that Jesus rejects people over, well, over technicality. Let me say this. Okay. Let me say this real quick. Thank you, Glenn. I get. I think I get your point. The, yes. point, the point is that that these things may seem big to us, but they're technicalities. God. Yeah. All right. Here, here's what I want to say, and then I'm gonna. I don't want the last word today. Okay. I, right. I would like Let, to add something to. Well, yeah. All right. Okay. I want to say this, and then I'm gonna bow out, and someone else can close this thing. When when, when somebody asks Glenn to go into PJ's coffee, we know it's over. <laughs> this is what I want to say that. There, it, Glenn was a neutral. He sat. He made that clear just now that he saw these this technicalities. But she stood up. My daughter. I'm. Very, I've never been prouder of her. She had three men, very, very much. Not can't say set in our beliefs, but definitely have reasons for our beliefs. And she stood toe to toe with us today. And I'm proud of that. Mm-hmm. I am very proud of you, Sarah. I'm very Thank proud you. of you. How you handled yourself today. You didn't get upset. You defended your position. And you defended it well. And I, I appreciate that. And that's all I've got to say today. Thank you guys for listening. And I will let you guys have the last word. You I just, decide. I just like to add in this because this is why I don't get upset about it. And I'm not um, I'm not worried about y'all at all. Because like, like, I know that, that sounds like crazy. But whenever you talked about um, the Catholics are excluding people and everything like that, like I do understand what you're coming from. Because, yeah, like it's exclusive, but heaven's also exclusive. But, um, <laughs> but okay, so I just want to read this because it's from the catechism and it's again, why I think that whenever you talk about these three tiers, my tears came from somebody who's in union with the Catholic church, but there is a tier for us outside of the Catholic church. And that's why, again, people who are not within the church, um, I, I still believe that God can, um, like he's going to, he's going to save so many people outside of the church. I truly believe that. But, um, it says, um, many elements of sanctification and truth are found outside the visible confines of the Catholic Church. The written word of God, the life of grace, faith, hope, and charity, with the other interior gifts of the Holy Spirit, as well as visible elements. Christ's Spirit used these churches in ecclesiastical, uh, e- ecclesial, ecclesial, oh my gosh, I suck at reading, communities as, as means of sa- salvation, whose power derives from the fullness of grace and, grace and truth that Christ has entrusted to the Catholic Church. All these blessings come from Christ and lead to him and are themselves called to Catholic unity. And so we see that as despite you being outside of the Catholic church, there's still beautiful gifts that God gives you. And um, there is salvation outside of the church. And I would say that that would be the separate tier is, um, is Christ work in your own life um, that, that would lead you to salvation there. So I also agree with your tier for yourself. There we go. Yes. All right, Pastor. Now that concluded it as far as I'm concerned. You have anything you want to add? No, I think that's good. All right. Well, Glenn, could PJ's coffee add anything to this? <laughs> well, correct me if I'm wrong, but some of you have had PJ's coffee today. So, <laughs> but this is why it was such a wonderful discussion. And that is the only way we could have pumped this up another level and gotten to tier 56 is uh, we could have gone and uh, done this in the PJs at Houghton. 
<laughs> have wonderful coffee. Great adversity teas. All natural Red Bull. Is that chips? Chips. That chips. <laughs> wow. And various breakfast and lunch sandwiches, all in a wonderful atmosphere with greater Wi-Fi. Well, there we go. Guys, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate all of you, Glenn, all of you. Thank you for coming in here. I, I love doing these podcasts, and it's a lot of fun. You came in in the afternoon so we could have a Monday podcast. I appreciate that. And um, I learned a lot today. I did. It was fun. It was a good exercise. Sure. Yeah. And I hope we do it again soon. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so, is there anything else? Nope. Thank you, listeners. We will, we will be back. Tomorrow with a, well, no, tomorrow. We'll be back yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) With with, uh, with, um, a conspiracy tomorrow. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be a doozy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you, guys. This will be last Friday for the listeners. Yes. That's right. Last Friday. (laughs) We'll be back. (laughs) We'll we'll be back last Friday. Back to the. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> 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 <laughs>